clear my name, God. I've kept an honest shop. I've thrown in my lot with you, God, and I'm not budging. Examine me, God, from head to foot. Order your battery of tests. Make sure that I'm fit inside and out so I never lose sight of your love. But keep in step with you, never, never missing a beat. I don't hang out with tricksters. I don't pal around with thugs. I hate that pack of gangsters. I don't deal with double dealers. I scrub my hands with the purest soap and then join hands with the others in a great circle, dancing around your altar, singing God songs at the top of my lungs, telling God stories. I love living with you, God. Your house glows with your glory. When it comes to spring cleaning, don't sweep me out with the quacks and the crooks, men with, ba with bags of dirty tricks, and women whose purses are stuffed with bribe money. You know I've been above board with you. Now, be above board with me. I'm on the level with you, God. I bless your name every chance I get. Thank you, Peggy. Now, what translation was that? <laughs> that was the message. And uh, who's the editor of the message? Do you remember that? Yeah, Peterson. Uh, Jim? Uh, Jim? Eugene Peterson. Yeah, now, this is, that's a modern translation, and you'll see that when we go through this passage, it hits it really close. That translation right there makes every expository preacher uh, obsolete. With that, you wouldn't have to have me up here for 30 minutes. You already know what that passage means. So, uh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. And uh, let's remember to pray for Jane Lyon. Uh, she's in the hospital, and she developed her surgery, blood clots in her leg, and then they moved to her lung. They had multiple blood clots. If you're not familiar with uh, the danger of blood clots, you are in absolute critical condition. When it hits your lungs, or it goes to your heart, or your, if it goes from your lungs to your heart to your, or your brain, you're dead. So... Uh, they uh, put her on real strong blood thinners, and uh, evidently she's on the men, but it was really touch and go. I don't know that Joe Lyon understood the seriousness or not. Because, you know, when you go to a hospital, doctor says, well, here's what she's got. You know, they don't use the word blood clots. They use 
$5 word, you know. But we'll take care of her and everything's going to be okay. But just remember to pray for James and uh, this blood thinning medicine. Well, okay, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 26. And if you're visiting with us, we are in the Psalms for the summer. And we are in Psalm 26 today. And I think you'll enjoy this. And especially in light of Peggy's uh, reading of the message. Peggy, what was the first word from the message? Uh, clear my name, God. Okay. Now, what you're going to see, just remember that the, the message said, Clear my name, God. If you have a King James Version, what does it say? Judgment. Judgment. You have a new King James that says, Vindicate. Now, vindicate is closer to clear my name than judgment, isn't it? And you're going to see why that is uh, that translation there, that it's a paraphrase actually, is very close to the original. Now, in Psalm 24, what we have, uh, 26 rather, what we have is a four part prayer. And the psalm in its entirety is a prayer, but it's divided into four sections. So here's how we're going to divide it. Section 1, we're going to call it verses 1 through 5. And this is where David opens with a petition. And the petition is, clear my name, God. That's what he wants. And he asks God to evaluate his life and pronounce him innocent. Now, the second section covers verses 6 through 8. And here David makes a promise to God. He vows that he will testify uh, on God's behalf and testify of God's greatness. The third part of the prayer is verses are verses 9 and 10, and this is a request where he requests to be delivered from the fate of the sinners. God has a fate for the sinners. David doesn't want to be part of that. And then the fourth part of the prayer, verses 11 and 12, which is a plea for salvation. He asks God for God's redemption and God's mercy. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through those four parts. Now one thing I want you to notice, and this is something that we should be noticing every week, and uh, that is the verb tenses. Okay? Now, I'm going to point them out to you. But one of the things you need to be doing when you're reading through the Psalms or any part of the Scripture is constantly be looking at the verbs and see if the verb tenses change from, let's say, past tense to future tense because that's going to tell you how to interpret the text. And also, the pronouns. You're always finding some pronoun changes. It's going to tell you who David's speaking to, who he's talking about, and so on. Uh, when I teach a class in uh, biblical exposition, I spend a lot of time helping the students to observe these things. Because I'm convinced if you've heard me go through the Psalms this summer, you now know how to read the Psalms on your own. Don't you? I mean, you should. But you see how I'm reading the Psalms. You're seeing the observations I make. So what you need to be doing when you're reading the Psalms, let's say in the morning, you need to be doing the same thing that I'm pointing out to you. You'd be looking for the verbs and the pronouns and so forth. So let's look at this first section. This is David's opening petition. And notice what he says. He says, Vindicate me, O Lord. The King James says, Judge me. But he only means judge me in the sense of, Lord, declare me innocent. Judge me and declare me innocent. Vindicate me. Clear my name. And the fact that he wants God to clear his name indicates that somebody is accusing him of things unjustly. And now he wants his name cleared. And he asks God to clear his name because he knows God is objective and God is fair. 
Uh, he, he's not asking for a mediator between himself and his enemies where there's going to be some compromise. You know how these corporations are sued and uh, they're eventually they're fined by the United States government for $200 million for the, uh, uh, let's say, the, the unlawful death of, you know, 6 million people. And they pay their $200 million, but they say, but they don't admit any guilt. <clears throat> sort of a compromise. David's not hunting for a compromise. He's not hunting to pay a fine and but not admit his guilt. He's asking God to clear his name. And so he comes to God because he thinks God is fair and objective. Now, what he does is he's now going to plead his case. Okay? And he's going to present evidence for the defense. His enemies have accused him. Now he'll present evidence that proves he is innocent. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, Vindicate me, O Lord. And here's the basis on which he asked God to vindicate him. Because, clear my name, Lord, because I have walked in my integrity. Uh, David says, all my life I have lived by the principle of integrity. That's been my guiding force, my daily practice. He doesn't only believe in integrity, he walks by it. Notice that speaks of a progression. Notice the verb there, what tense is it? Past tense. He has walked in it. This is how his life has been characterized. It's been characterized by integrity. Now, I want you to note, though, the pronoun. I have walked in what? My integrity. Now, I want you to put that in your mental file for a second. Remember my integrity. Okay? Uh, then look what he says. I have, in the past, is why I want you to vindicate me, because I have, in the past, also trusted in the Lord. The basis of his integrity is the fact that he is trusted in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, Think about this. If you trust in the Lord, you don't have to do unscrupulous things to get ahead. You do crooked things to get ahead when you're not trusting in the Lord. So the trusting in the Lord is the basis upon which he builds his integrity. Now I think what's happening, if I can read between the lines, is that his enemies are probably saying something like this. David, you gain the crowd through corrupted means, you're keeping, you're trying to keep your crown through corrupted means. And David says, no, I've been a man of integrity all my life because I've trusted in the Lord. He wasn't like uh, JFK, who basically bought the presidency. Did he win that fair and square? Yeah, 100,000 people in Chicago who had died over the past century cast their votes. He did win it fair and square. But uh, no, that didn't happen. He cut a deal with Mayor Daly. Remember that? And Daly delivered Chicago. David said, hey, I don't have to resort to that kind of manipulation because I trust the Lord. Remember? He could have overthrown King Saul and taken the crown, couldn't he? Did he do that? No. He trusted the Lord for that outcome. And he says, I will keep my crown the same way. It's based on trust and integrity. And uh, he trusts the Lord because he knows the Lord is always going to come through. This is something we need to understand. God established a covenant with Israel that if they obeyed him, he would take care of them. Pastor was talking about that today. How the Lord will give his 
right, daily bread. You know, on what basis will he take care of your needs? Well, the fact that he's established a covenant. He first established a covenant with Israel, and then through Christ he establishes the new covenant. Based on the fact that he assigned his name to that agreement, that covenant, we have God's word for it. And I can trust him, and you can trust him. And therefore, we should not live in an unscrupulous way. Next, he makes a vow. Look what he says at the end of verse 1. Vindicate me, Lord, not only on the basis of what I've done in the past, but I promise something. I promise I shall not slip. Just as he walked in the past in integrity, he planned to do that in the future, and he's not planning on slipping. He's not planning on stumbling. Why not? Because he's trusting in the Lord. He doesn't have to resort to these things. So he says, I will, I've trusted you in the past, I've trusted you in the future, I've been a man of integrity in the past, I will be a man of integrity in the future, uh, I will not slip. So the, he's making this appeal giving the reasons for his vindication. Why he thinks God should pray with me. Now look at verse 2. Here he see a call. He makes a call to God uh, to conduct a thorough examination. Here's what he said. Examine me, O Lord. Now I forget what Peggy said, but it said something like what? Examine, examine me, O Lord. And he wants us to be a thorough examination. He says, and Prove me, which means put me to the test. Uh, see what I'm made of. If you found some ore in a mine out in Nevada that looked like it could be gold, how would you discover if it were gold? You would put it to the test. And that would determine whether it was the real McCoy or not. He's basically saying, put me to the test. See what I'm made of. And then he says this. Try, at the end of verse 2, try my mind and my heart. Uh, that means uh, examine me uh, in the inner parts where no one else can sit. You know, a lot of us can uh, pull people out for but what happens if God looks at your heart? So he says, uh, try me, try my mind and my heart. Try my thought life. Try my, test my emotional life. What is it that moves you? What is it that motivates you in life? Is it greed? Is it lust? Uh, what, is it hate? Some people are motivated by hate. Now you wouldn't know it. They walk up to you and they're your enemy and they smile and shake your hand. But inside they're saying things. And what's on the outside doesn't match really what they intend and what's on the inside. So he says, uh, try me inside and out, in a sense. Uh, he's asking for God to completely bet him. We just went through a, a Supreme Court nominee and uh, she had to be vetted. Was she a criminal? Uh, was her testimony that she gave uh, in... Senate that, it, that her life matched that. So he's saying, I want you, Lord, I want you to turn over every rock of my life and examine me. Uh, now let me ask you this. If this were written by Alan Street, you think I want that? You think I'd write this? 
Now, Lord, here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want you to clear my name because I want you to examine me. I want you to test me. And I want you to look inside my mind and my heart. Uh, I don't want God to look inside my mind and heart. Uh, but David is a man after God's own heart, and he's a very special person. There are only three or four people in the scriptures that are really special. And David is one of those people. Only person ever called a man after God's own heart. But David is willing to open his life inside and out uh, to this kind of divine scrutiny. And then he says uh, this. He said, here's the basis for God examining him inside and out. He said, Lord, I, I want you to, to, to scrutinize me and test me upside down and one side up and down the other. And he knows he's going to pass the test. He thinks he's going to be cleared. Why? Look what he says in verse 3. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. Uh, this is the difference between David and us. Uh, David understands God's love, the love of God. Uh, he understands God's mercy. Uh, he understands this covenant that God has made with the nation. And he says that concept, that loving nature and this mercy that God exhibits is always before his eyes. Before he makes any decision, he always thinks about that. Is this something that would please God? Uh, and oftentimes we don't do that. We make decisions as if there is no God. We know there's a God, but we don't we just do it anyway. Like he's not looking. He's not only looking at David. David says God's always before my eyes, his loving kindness is before my eyes. And that's the reason he has confidence that his name is going to be uh, vindicated. So if I ask you what's before your eyes, notice he says it is right now. God's always in the present. David lives in the present moment of, a real, of the realization that God is there. He is always God conscious, the way we can say it. What's on your mind? Thinking about where you're going to eat today. Is that what's on your mind? How long is the street going to go? <laughs> what's on your mind? You know? What is it? What was on your mind when, when Katie was reading this? What kind of translation? What's on your mind? See, David didn't have those kinds of things on his mind. He said, God, you test my mind and my heart. They're pure. You know why? Because the things on my mind is always you. So David was always getting blessed by all the things around him because God was always on his mind. So what consumes our minds and our thought life? It's very important. And then he says this. End of verse 3. I have walked in your truth. He knows he's going to be vindicated because he's walked in his truth. Now I ask you to remember something. I ask you to put something in your mental file. You remember what that was? Verse 1, I said, just remember that pronoun, mine. Verse 1, look how he walked. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I walked in what? My integrity. Look at verse, into verse 3. I have walked in your truth. David's integrity and God's truth coincide. And this has been how he has lived his entire life. And then he says this in verse 4. I have, notice it's past tense, I have not sat down with idolist, idolatrous mortals. Uh, this deals with his associations. Uh, who does David associate with? 
says, I have not in the past sat down with idolatrous mortals. Now look at the end of verse 4. Look at, look at the change of tense. Nor will I go in with hypocrites. In the past I haven't done it. Uh, King James says vain people, something like that. Talking about people who worship idols that are nothing. In the past, I've had nothing to do with these people who are idolaters. And in the future, I will have nothing to do with the hypocrites. Now, he's talking about his past and his future. He's making a vow that he's not going to do that. I'm convinced that the idolaters and the hypocrites are the same people. Sort of like a parallelism here. Uh, and I believe that David is talking about Jews. Uh, these people are Jews. These are people who claim, now listen carefully, his enemies in this passage are his fellow countrymen who claim to love God, but guess what they follow? Idols. Claim to love God, follow idols. That's called a hypocrite. See? And David is not hypocritical. He's asked God to judge him inside and out. He says, look, look at my, my, my actions, the way I walk in my life, take integrity, and look at my mind and my thought. He says, they match. So this is what he's talking about. You think he's talking about Jews who, uh, and we know that there, many of the Jews were into idolatry, and especially during this period of time. In verse 5 he says, I have hated, what tense is that? Back there, right? I have hated the assembly of evildoers. Now look at this. And in the future, I will not sit with the wicked. So here we have these evildoers, these wicked, these idolatrous, and these hypocrites are all the same people. And he says, uh, I won't hang around with these people. In fact, when I know that they go into the assembly or the tabernacle, I don't go in when they go in. I don't hang around with these kinds of people. Now, Jesus hanged out with sinners, didn't he? Why won't David hang out with sinners? Because David's not talking about just good old-fashioned sinners. He's not talking about pagans over here, the Hittites and those kinds of people. Jesus hung out with good old-fashioned sinners. David's talking the kind of people he won't hang out with are Jews that are what? Hypocrites. Who wouldn't Jesus hang out with? The Pharisees who were the hypocrites. See, David and, and Jesus doing, doing the same thing. Uh, we're supposed to hang out with lost people. You're not going to be able to reach the lost people. You work with them every day. But in the church, who do you hang out with? David said, I don't hang out with hypocrites. David said, I don't hang out with those good deacons who have mistresses on the side. Say, <laughs> oh, I worship God. I worship God, you know, but their life doesn't match it. They have a secret life. David said, I don't hang out with those kinds of people. And we shouldn't either. So now we go to this next section, section 2, beginning in verse 6, where David makes a promise. And look what he says. I will wash my hands in innocence. 
So I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. So what we have here is that David says he's going to do something in the future. Here's what he's going to do. I'm going to wash my hands in innocence. Now, when he's talking about washing his hands in innocence, he tells us the reason he's going to do it. So, in order that I could go about your altar, I'm not going to walk into your tabernacle and I'm not going to make sacrifices uh, being a hypocrite or being a sinner the way these other people are. Uh, verse 7, I'm going to wash my hands that I might proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. This is the reason he's going to do it. So he's going to wash his hands. Now when you wash your hands like this, this is a symbolic gesture. You know anybody in the Bible that washed their hands? Yeah, Pilate washed his hands of this innocent man. Remember that? He didn't want to have anything to do with it. We still say that. We use that phrase, wash our hands. I wash my hands of this whole business. What does that mean? Well, you can do it, but I'm not going to do it. David's not going to hang out with these sinners. He's not going to live the way these sinners live. And, uh, but he's going to make sure he's clean and he's innocent. And he's going to go into the tabernacle of God and he's going to make his sacrifice and he's going to declare the wondrous works of God and he's going to pray, praise God with innocent hands. Now it's very interesting. Uh, this would be like us saying today, I love the church. They love the tabernacle. He loved being in God's presence, praising God in the courts. But there were a lot of church members that he didn't like. The hypocrites. And uh, there's a principle there. Uh, David loves the tabernacle, but he doesn't love everybody that goes into the tabernacle. And friends, we should be the same way. We should love the church of Jesus Christ, but we shouldn't be loving every person who belongs to the church of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure who our friends are and our associates. Now look what he says. Verse 9, we have the third section, and he makes a request. Here's what he says. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. Now, he still sees himself as being on trial. He's still pleading his case. To each one of these points is David pleading his case to clear his name. And uh, what he does here, he says, Lord, when the judgment comes down, this is what he's saying right here, don't gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. When the verdict comes down, don't put me in the category in the same group of these guys. Uh, notice the word gather there. Do you see that? That's an agricultural word. It probably talks about harvest time. He's using a, a word that talks about harvest time. Well, what happens at the harvest? Uh, for, the, for Israel, the harvest symbolically meant uh, judgment day. Jesus used it that way. There's going to be a great judgment day. It's a harvest time when they're all gathered. And then it's discovered that in that crop, some are wheat. Others are tares. And they have to be separated. David says, when judgment comes, when it's the gathering time, don't put me in with the tares. They're the hypocrites. 
Vindicate me and clear my name. And then he describes these people that he doesn't want to be gathered with. He says, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. So, what we have here, he calls them sinners in verse 9. He calls them bloodthirsty men. He talks about sinister schemes and he talks about bribes. So these bloodthirsty men are those who have these sinister schemes, they have plots to kill, they come up with all these devices, bad to do their evil, to make it look good, and then he talks about sinners in whose right hand there are bribes. Now notice their hands are full. You see in verse 10 it says hands plural, you see that? Their hands are full. And there's something in their left hand, there's something in their right hand. In their left hand are sinister plots, schemes, murderous plots, conspiracies. In the right hand, bribes. Bribes. Now, what do you have a bribe for? bribe because you want a decision put, put in your favor, whether it's a contract or whether it's a decision in court. Did he doubt he's just gone through some bribery cases? And he describes these people who have their hands full in one hand are scheming plots, sinister schemes. The other hand, bribes. Now let me tell you something. When you have conspiracies and plots in one hand and bribes in the other, guess what you don't have to do? You don't have to trust in the Lord, do you? Because you're trusting in your own devices. David says, Lord, all my life I've never operated on sinister schemes and bribes. I've walked in my integrity. Now when the judgment comes down, don't put me in the category with those people. Lord, clear my name. Vindicate me. These will be the ones who are guilty. And then verse 11, we have that last plea, last part of the prayer, final plea. And here's what he says. But as for me, I walk in my integrity. As for me, I will walk in my integrity. You ever heard that before? Where did you hear that? Verse 1. But what's the difference? Between verse 1 and verse Ah, yeah, verse 1. In the past, I've walked in my integrity. In verse 11... Look, in the future, I will walk in my integrity. So he's letting God know that uh, he can vindicate him even up front because he's not going to slip. He's not going to mess up his life. And so what he says is, in the past, I've walked in integrity. In the future, I've walked in integrity. In the past, I've trusted you. In the future, I will trust you. So here's this balance right here. Balance. And so he says to God, he says, I have walked in my integrity. Look at the end of verse 11. Here's, as a result of that, here's what my request is. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Based on the covenant. This is what God's agreed to do. Did God deliver Israel from Egypt? Did he redeem them? Yes. Did he show them mercy? Yes. Oh Lord... Do the same for me. Do the same for me. Based on your covenant. And then in verse 12 he says, My foot stands 
in an even place. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, he's talking about being on level ground. Because uh, in the past, he's followed his integrity. In the past, he's followed God's truth. Kelly Mellon's out. That makes even ground. In the past, he's trusted in God. In the past, God has shown him mercy. In the future, he's going to trust in God. In the future, God will show him mercy. And so, David is on even ground. Level ground. And when you're on level ground, guess what you don't do? You don't slip. He's got his feet on a firm foundation. Trust and truth. Integrity and mercy. So, he's not planning on slipping. Now, by the way, if you look at Psalm 26, you see words like sitting and standing and walking. And, and that should harken you right back to Psalm 1. Remember that? Psalmist said, hey, I don't sit with these kinds of people. I don't stand with these kinds of people. I don't walk with these kinds of people. And he's still saying it right here in chapter in Psalm 26. I don't do that. I'm, I'm wearing on solid ground. And then he says this. This is how he closes it. Prairie says, in the congregation, look, my foot stands right now in the even place. And look in the future, in the congregation, I will bless the Lord. And he can say this with full confidence. He can say 100%, with 100% assurance, in the future, I'll bless the Lord. How can he say that? Huh? He can say it based on everything that he said in this chapter. That he's trusted God and he's been a person of integrity. God has shown him mercy and God has guided him in truth. And now he says, and in the future, with great confidence, he says, I will bless the Lord. And that should be our testimony. In fact, that must be our testimony. Our life has to match our talk. We bless the Lord when we honor him with our lips. But more important when we honor him with our life. And that's the prayer that David makes as he defends himself. And I feel that based on this, that at the end of this prayer, when David says amen, God says amen. And his name is clear. And those are the evil that he judged. Next week we'll pick up on Psalm 27. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for that modern rendition of your work that captured the meaning of this text. Help us to realize, Lord, that we need to be people like David, people that have a heart for you and then live for you. Help us not to fall into this category of a hypocrite uh, who will be judged and who will be separated at the great judgment, who, uh, at the resurrection final judgment is declared and the great separation takes place. Lord, help us to be on the right side, on the side of David and Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.